0: podcast one production. I'm Sammy Lucas and I'm romantically challenged. The last time we had therapist Rachel Boise from the relationship room on the podcast, we spoke about dating rejection, something many of us are having to deal with on an almost daily basis, especially with online dating. I received so many lovely messages about that episode from people saying how much it helped them. So I decided to bring Rachel back in to have more of a chat about her singles coaching and to discuss some of the main issues she talks about with the people who come in to see her. So I want to delve into the issues of toxic dating, compatibility, and how sometimes the bad decisions you make when you're dating are not about you, it's just the way your brain's wired. Rachel, thank you for joining me again. Thank you. I'm very
1: happy to be back.
0: I love our chats. It's
1: exciting being here.
0: We had such a great response to that episode about rejection. Oh, that's good. It that was brilliant. Oh, that's good. You've helped a lot of people.
1: Well, yeah. I think I, I think you're. it's having the platform to put information out there because really that's the only thing we have to protect ourselves and help is getting informed. So, yeah, it was great to be part of that.
0: Now, I love that you're doing singles coaching and singles therapy and mm. it's... No secret that I came to see you and yes. had a little singles therapy of my we own. Did, yes. You know, I I was shocked at how much I learned from it and how you could see things mm. <laughs> and patterns in one hour of chatting to you yes. that I haven't been able to identify my whole life. No. So you're bloody good at what you do. Oh, thanks. I want to just tap into that singles coaching and singles therapy. What mm. are the main issues that the singles that you're seeing? are dealing with Mm. and are challenged by these days? Um, I think they're probably challenged largely by
1: the idea that we all feel like we have a lot more control and options than we used to have with dating. You know, I think, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, people kind of thought you had to either cross paths with somebody or be introduced to somebody through a friend and then you kind of had to make do with what was happening in your life, whereas a lot of people now feel overwhelmed by choice and overwhelmed by responsibility for being single. So it's kind of like there's so many options to meet partners that if they are still single or unsuccessfully dating, they feel like, back to that question that we all love to flagellate ourselves with, what's wrong with me? (laughs) What am I doing wrong? And when human beings feel like they've got control, it's fantastic, but it also means we can get stuck going in loops round and round in our minds trying to work out what is it that I can do to get myself out of this situation or to make my situation better? So I think that's really a huge reason singles are showing up. And also, I think just from that um, personal wellness, personal development kind of thing like you and I did, Sammy, like the idea that most of us create some kind of perfect partner based on the way we think we were not given love either as children or in past relationships, like from lacks in our experience prior, not always in childhood, sometimes from relationships. So a lot of people feel like they keep dating the same person. So it's about looking back and going, what is it, you know, if you're someone that's really seeking safety, if you're someone that's really seeking excitement, if you're someone that's really seeking validation, that stuff can come from the past and then you keep on trying to find it and it just keeps coming in a different form. So people come in to kind of do some stuff at looking back getting insight, once you reveal those patterns,
0: you're much less likely to keep repeating them. And I love that part of the work. Um, A lot of people talk to me about dating and and so often I hear these little alarm bells going off in my head about Mm. some of the things they describe, right? And some of the things they learn about people in the early stages of dating, but persevere because they're so afraid of being alone. And this leads me to this topic of toxic dating and Mm. toxic relationships. And it's kind of like I did the narcissist podcast because everyone was talking about narcissists and it was like the buzzword in the dating world. Definitely. now I feel like at the moment for me at least it's toxic, yeah, toxic relationships, toxic yep. dating. There is mm. such a thing, right? And what's the difference there between a, a toxic relationship or being in love with or dating someone who's toxic rather than a narcissist?
1: So narcissists are very self-interested, so there are there definitely is a culture of entitlement out there. So being really entitled or very self-orientated is narcissism. Now, there are many other kinds of problems that really make you almost ineligible to be a healthy attached partner to someone. If you have a whole range of other kind of conditions other than just being very, very selfish and self-interested, which is the narcissist, there are still lots of other things that people may be walking around with. And it's their own kind of issues. Like, There are some people who just cannot be in a functional relationship. It doesn't mean that they couldn't be if they went and got some help and developed some insight and worked on their communication. It's not that, you know, it's like a lifetime ban, although there probably are a few in that group <laughs> on that topic, but we we'll won't talk about them I today. I think I've dated a few yeah, of them, actually. I think most of us have crossed paths. Um, but anyway, we're not talking about those guys, but there are those people that, you know, to be attached, you need to be able to participate in a relationship with another person. And there's a whole lot of other kind of conditions that make that just not possible. So I think that's the difference between toxic partners and that's something where I hope today we can talk about some of those things that help you identify them because it's not always just those selfish entitled guys. There's other kinds of guys that we should avoid.
0: And I guess when we use the term toxic, it's not necessarily saying that's a toxic person. It's no. saying that being in a relationship with that person is a toxic that's environment. exactly right.
1: Because, you know, relationship has two people Like we're born from the womb to the tomb kind of thing to be attached to each other. You know, we need to be attached. We like to be attached, though we can be on our own also. But some people can't do that. They can be alone and perfectly fine because then they're not bringing their destruction to anybody else's life. But as soon as they partner up with somebody, all that dysfunctional attachment stuff ends up your problem and you can end up feeling like your time is wasted, your energy is zapped, you're insecure, you're left with all this collateral damage um, from a kind of unsolicited bad experience that you may not have necessarily known you were getting yourself Into or asking for.
0: How should you feel when you're in a functioning, healthy relationship versus how you feel when you're in a toxic, dysfunctional relationship?
1: So one of the most important things in a functional relationship is you should feel like you have a relative kind of sense of being able to predict what's going to happen next. You know, human beings don't like things to be unpredictable and unsafe. When you're with somebody in a functional relationship, you should feel relatively secure, like you can kind of predict how things are going to go, give or take. So there's always going to be good and bad days, but you should feel like you have a sense of who they are. They mostly show up in the way you expect them to be. They can communicate with you. Which means they can accept your influence. That's a massive thing that happens in a healthy relationship. They care about you equally. You know, equality is massive in any relationship. Like, if you, I often do a little exercise with people where I say, write down everything that you are receiving from the relationship, write out everything you are giving. Now, if those things are really distorted and out of balance and the scale's tipping, a problem will always emerge. So, in a healthy relationship, there should be this nice balance where you feel safe, supported listen to, but you still have to expect to have bad days because that is always going to happen. That's different to a toxic relationship where you generally feel anxious, sick, distressed, preoccupied, Unsafe and always wondering what's going to happen next and what it is you did that may have influenced however things are going. It's a very different thing to be part of. You will know the difference when you're in one or the other.
0: You've literally just given me a light bulb moment. Oh. From a relationship I had, which is exactly what you've just described. I thought I was in love with him because I felt like his happiness and well being was actually more important than my own, mm. and I did everything I could to make him happy because I thought that was love, is that yeah. I wanted him to be happy and his well being was was more important than my own. Mm. But all it did was it made me feel anxious and yep. upset all the time, and like I wasn't good enough, yep. and oh my god! And but I I've convinced for. myself this whole time that I was in love with him. No, it's but it, I wasn't. Fascinating. You
1: cannot. <gasps> if I even say to people, if you don't believe that. Do it in a workplace context. Like if you – some people think if I overpay my staff, they'll be amazing. Whereas if you do a little bit of corporate work, you know, that doesn't work either. You can't – if things are unbalanced, some form of problem will always emerge. So having like, you know, in those cases where you feel like, but I just love them so much, I just want to give and do and be – if it's not coming back equally, you are heading for a problem.
0: The outcomes of being in a toxic relationship or even, you know, going back to toxic dating, yeah, it can really yeah. be very damaging on someone, Definitely. right? Definitely.
1: And that's why I thought today, like, that toxic dating thing is important because we want to avoid toxic relationships. And, you know, it depends, you know, how long do we think we have to be with someone before it's a relationship. But, you know, in the first two, three to six, maybe even 12 months, you kind of are dating them, I'd say especially up to six. Mm-hmm. So if you can figure out and educate yourself a little bit about the signs of perhaps this person being toxic, that's, you know, that's a huge thing before you get into a toxic relationship because the relationship will probably be more damaging than the dating if you can get out. But, I mean, I suppose a really important thing though to qualify here is, you know, all of us, and especially because we're talking about, you know, we're not dating at 20, uh, those people still just have to figure things out anyway, (laughs) so I wouldn't want to be. But by the time we get into our 30s, 40s, 50s and onwards, we all are certainly battle-scarred, have our issues. Like we do, right? We all have our little idiosyncrasies
0: and baggage. we all got our baggage, yes. So if you're going to go
1: around with this laundry list of like, I don't want anyone to think that just because you see some of these things today, it's toxic. But the, the key that I really try to talk about with some of my singles coaching is that you really, like there's so much now about intuition being a guide. And the reason from a psychologist perspective that intuition is a guide is because there are like, you know, like for example, there are millions of pieces of information you'll know about someone, even if you've just seen them a few times. Everything you've seen, heard, what you've seen them do, how they've treated the people around you. There's so many pieces. Your intuition is about all those pieces of information coming together and being synthesized to give you a feeling about something. Now, if you try to think about something, you can only really hold a few facts at a time and bounce them around. But intuition is about getting the mind, gut and heart intelligence and bringing it together. So. The kind of key for toxic dating, I think, is trust your intuition. If you feel that something is off, it is probably there's probably something to it that you can't quite put a word to. And if you feel that, that's when you go through the red flags of toxic dating. But just because you hear one of the things we might talk about today, that doesn't necessarily mean this is a toxic dating situation. So you've got to bring your kind of intuition and these things together.
0: Which is also, it it sounds great in theory, Mm. and we'd all love to be able to do that and trust our gut. But I know from experience and from so many of the women I've spoken to Mm. on this podcast, I guess at this age, so many of us get to a stage, particularly as women, mm. where you, you've been told so many times mm. in relationships, mm. you're not good enough, mm. you're crazy, yep. you're jealous, yep. you're overreacting, yep. you're you need to go and see a therapist, the you're yeah. irrational. Yep. And you have take all of that on, Rachel. you do. So then it's hard to trust your gut because there's still that voice in your head going, definitely. am I being irrational? Yeah. Am oh, I being hard work? Am definitely. I being jealous?
1: Yep, and that's where you've got to look to some of the things they're doing that are making you feel that way. That's where some of the toxic dating stuff comes in. In. But I think it I mean when I'm talking about the intuition I mean that first few the first few experiences you have of somebody where you kinda go, mm, I don't know, like feels like there's something but you know what? I'm going to persist and see. it might just be me. It's if you feel that, then just look a bit more carefully because yes, I they, it is that gaslighting effect of being told over time that you're all these things and you start to doubt your own perceptions. That happens to a lot of us and there's a lot of stuff on that gaslighting effect in and out of relationships, both dating and in relationships. And I think it's very important because it's certainly, there is nothing worse than not being able to kind of having to think, I can't trust my own perceptions. But your intuition is a gut feel. It's not over-processing it. It's that bringing it together. And it's the beginning where you think if something's off, you probably might find that it is.
0: I love that you've mentioned gaslighting because that is a huge factor in a toxic dating situation, right? So can you explain gaslighting, how you know you're being gaslighted?
1: Yeah. Um, So gaslighting, if, if anyone doesn't know what it is, is about somebody who tries to undermine your perceptions, uh, criticises you, makes you doubt what you're thinking or, or lies to you quite often. So then you end up being quite confused about what's real and what isn't. And people that are good at this will have you in a place where you just end up feeling like you can't trust yourself, you can't trust your thoughts, you can't trust your perceptions. So then you really lose confidence and you lose track of your ability to judge and your ability to change things. So that's a really big thing in toxic relationships. But there are actually quite a lot of things that those people are doing when they're gaslighting you in toxic relationships that wouldn't be happening in a healthy relationship. You know, they're normally people that... Um, Refuse to take responsibility for almost anything, and almost always got some really. And it can be it can be confusing because people always think it's going to be like direct criticism or abuse that they're. It's not. It's people that kind of go. Mm, are you sure you want to order that? Are you sure you like that color? Do you think like oh you know? Do you think you've thought about that enough? And you go sit there going, maybe I'm a bit stupid. Maybe I don't know what to. Order. Like it's those little maybes that come in, and they can feel like really very well informed. Like you know, oh, this person's kind of taking an interest in me because he's reflecting back all this stuff. It's
0: the smiling assassin kind smiling of thing. Smiling assassin
1: and the insightful, assa- well, seemingly insightful assassin. We're like, wow, it's like I've got a bit of a like therapist slash date mm. here. He's telling me this stuff. Maybe he's got a point. And when more likely, he's probably just self interested enough to be setting you into a bad place where he can hold more power than you in this relationship. Because it's all about power, ultimately. Toxic dating is generally disequilibrium of power. So that's where it ends up the scale's tip again. So those kind yeah, it's, you've got to be really careful for mistaking somebody as being, you know, interested and insightful as opposed to cutting you down slowly.
0: So obviously we're talking here about mostly, you know, from my perspective, a woman dating a man who is creating a toxic environment or he's toxic. Yes. But what about when it's the female in the relationship that is uh, creating the toxic environment? Is her behaviour the same as it would be for a man?
1: (laughs) It's very similar, but look, I actually think women are becoming better at identifying toxic men and men are not very good at identifying toxic women because toxic women can use emotions a lot and they can set things. You know, women, we are better at kind of organising and emotional intelligence often than men. And I find actually a lot of the men that I come in who are in toxic relationships, are very. they really take on that influence and blame themselves. So if somebody tells them something they're doing is wrong or that they're too much of this or not enough of that, I think also probably because they don't run it by their friends as much as we do. Mm. Sometimes guys will come in and say, she said this, this, and this, and I'll say, wow, my God, like I haven't seen you for two weeks. Who have you told that to? Oh, nobody, you're the first person. So that's been going round and round in their heads. So I don't think it's probably that what they, do, the females and males do that are toxic is particularly different, but I definitely think probably it has a, I think it can actually have a more detrimental effect on men in some ways and they can start to change behaviour a lot more quickly to try to appease the person Mm. that is telling them all these things because men do appease often. You can get kind of nice, sometimes the, the nicer guys appease, can not turn out well for them later. But, you know, if you've got someone who's suggesting you're not doing enough and you're not enough of this and too much of that yeah, they can start to very quickly try to change who they are.
0: A lot of people maybe think, oh, it takes two to tango though. You know, mm. we're both in this relationship. Maybe I've encouraged this. How have I? Can I take responsibility okay, for definitely. their behaviour? Yeah,
1: and this to me is like the criteria for a toxic relationship, you know. Toxic can sound like a really aggressive term, but there are seriously times you are just in a relationship with the problem. So that's a difference in a healthy relationship. You are participating in a system that you can change, that you can influence, that you can be heard in, and that responds to you. In a toxic relationship, you have almost no chance of making a difference to your situation because you're working with someone who is dysfunctional in some way. So, yes, most of, in healthy relationships, that's true. You can, it's two takes two to tango. In dysfunctional and toxic, that's just sometimes not true. It's really hard when you actually have to, you might work with clients for a long time and then actually just have to say to someone, you're just in a relationship with a problem here. I don't actually know if there's much you can do to save yourself here other than probably protect yourself from the toxic behaviour and try to come up with a way over time if you can't straight away to get out of this relationship. That's a toxic relationship. So it doesn't always take two to tango.
0: So if you end up in a toxic relationship, are there always going to be behaviours you could have identified in the dating stage, like toxic dating?
1: Yeah, definitely. But I think what kind of... Often what you see in toxic dating can look like exactly what you want to see in dating, you know, because it's often those people that actually seem exactly like you want them to be in the beginning and that's so it can feel like it's the best kind of dating because they're actually really coming, showing up in the way you want them to show up in dating. No, don't tell me this. But this it's is... that too good to be true. Look, there are people that it can just be too good to be true because you both are just really in a good place for a relationship. But those people that come in with... Lots and lots of positives early are setting you into a different a – di- a, actually a bit of a dangerous mindset because of what the brain does with it, right? Those people that really come in with, you know – I actually think there's a term, I actually read recently there's a term for it and they're calling it love bombing now. So we can add that to our mm-hmm. breadcrumbing, ghosting, blah, blah, blah list of names that we have I've to
0: heard know. I've that, the love bombing. But the love
1: bombing is certainly about people that come in with a lot of promises. They seem to, you know, want to kind of bombard you with everything you want. They talk about the future too early in the relationship. They talk about commitment too early in the relationship. They're talking about the holiday. They're going, let's book a holiday, you know, in five months' time together and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know it's those kind of people that are often signs of toxic, you know, signs that something's a bit wrong.
0: But surely that's not always toxic. Surely can no, you please tell me that there toxic. are some people out there that can show you all of those behaviours and yeah. it can actually just be a really it beautiful It definitely experience. can be, but it takes me back to our rejection podcast,
1: right? Because if we're going to say that if when they reject us after five dates, they're not really rejecting us because they don't know us. If they're going to say to you, I want to be in Fiji with you, you know, in eight months and I want to move in with you and you're the one, they don't know you either. So is that about you or is that about them? I mean, we love to feel special, all of us, human beings, men and women. But if we're going to think that after four or five dates or two months that this person knows us well enough to give us that kind of love and it be meaningful, we're also, we're just doing the opposite of our rejection problem, right? We're pretending they know us so well that they accept us and love us fully, when they don't really know us yet, and we don't really know them either, you can't know someone that quickly.
0: But then a lot of people just sort of call it the honeymoon period, and you're so mm. caught up and maybe attracted to them, particularly mm. if you've started having sex already, exactly. right? Exactly. Yep. You're only thinking about the next time you're going to be in bed with them. Yep. And Do we screwed. just not listen? Yes. Once you're having you're sex with literally. them, you're screwed
1: because you know, which can be good. But from a biological point of view, you're once you start having sex with someone, you're also excreting oxytocin and bonding hormones and things. Where yes, you are, you're bonding with them biologically, and it's a problem. But these little clues people drop are often before you get to that stage. These are the little remarks. You know, I always, in life, outside of the room, always say people will tell you their issues before you've even started a conversation with them. People tend to need to tell you stuff about themselves that they're uncomfortable with and they reveal themselves very quickly. A honeymoon period tends to begin once you actually have some of that limerence stuff, which in limerence we talk about all these hormones and neurotransmitters that come into our systems that make us both see the other person ideally But the other thing it does, which is why people always go, am I being manipulated? When you're in limerence or what people call lust, you will also behave as as a better version of yourself because you almost believe you can be. So you're in a bit of an intoxicated state where you actually also behave in the best way that you can and you're not trying to trick them. You just feel like, oh, my God, I I can, right? So they will be doing that and you will be doing that and also you can't see red flags, you can't estimate risk. But for a honeymoon period to begin, you have to have seen someone a few times and have started to have a little bit of a bonding process. So these red flags, I think, are things you look for when you're chatting online in the first few coffee dates or, you know, things you do. You know, if you're going to go to a bar and get intoxicated, it's going to be harder probably to tell the difference, which is why I think... First dates really it is so much better if you can do a coffee, a lunch, a walk, but not an alcohol fueled, you know, like this is a sexy nightclub because that will confuse you.
0: <laughs> Rachel, I listen to everything you say except for that. Yeah. There is always well, alcohol involved alcohol in a first date. Right, but I'm just sorry. try to remember those little
1: comments people make, like, you know, my friends and family say I'm really hard to get, to get along with ha 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 and you go, Oh yeah, that's nothing.
0: Because you're no, so cute. Run. How could you possibly oh, be hard so to get along
1: with? How could your jealousy matter when you make me feel so special with it? No, it's not runaway. Like, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's the first few meets. When the honeymoon period, yes, it exists, but you have to – you kind of have probably passed through that beginning stage first.
0: I don't want to be that person that is so cynical that anything nice that happens to me, I question it or I don't believe it's real or I don't want to accept it. Mm. I don't want to become that person, but I no. feel like...
1: But there are lots of lovely things that you can accept that are that are actually appropriate for certain stages of dating. Like if someone wants to create a really thoughtful date for you or take you away for a weekend, or that's lovely and that's appropriate in a getting-to-know-you stage. It's when they are making or participating in behaviours that... They're inordinate to the time you're together. You know, like you should – there are lovely people out there that will do lovely things for you. But you have to think, is this a healthy and appropriate thing to be doing two dates in, three dates in, four dates in? You know, like that's the key to me is not thinking everyone who's nice is trying to manipulate you. But grandiosity is certainly Mm. usually a sign of a problem.
0: What about catching someone out in a lie? Early on, mm. really overlook any little. Oh, he was just trying to impress me. So
1: yeah, look, and everybody lies to some degree, <laughs> we all do. So yes, certainly, I think you can overlook little parts of that. I often have this, you know, in my infidelity work and and with couple with 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 human relationships. You talk a lot about lying, and one of the main reasons that men lie, well, actually that people lie, but specifically, you know, with men is people lie to try to create independence and space for themselves. So if you don't know what I'm doing, I feel like I've got my independence and my space, where as soon as I tell you everything... So often people lie to kind of keep parts of themselves private and secret to themselves so the other person can't get in on them. So I think if you're with somebody who's making a lot of... You know, especially people that maybe don't stick to their word or don't show up and you know they're late or they're unexplainedly absent or those kind of things where you think mm, and then they come up with a really crappy story to explain that those are the kind of lies where you think what's this person actually trying to get around me with if they you know a little bit of a lie here and there you might make yourself sound a bit more important at work or try and impress people with looking a little bit smarter or cooler than you are that's different to trying to create freedom and space by not letting somebody know things about you so that they don't end up having a choice about Mm -hmm. whether they want to be with you or not. That's the bit about lying. I hate in dating. Like, just tell me so I can choose. Do not try to, you know, pretend that you're someone you're not.
0: What about the issue of people trash talking an ex? Because this is another pattern that I I seem to discuss a lot in the podcast. And I know particularly I've had it where I've dated men who... I mm. so, talk so badly about their ex. Yep. And I've thought about this. If you're sitting there just bashing their ex on the first date, mm-hmm. it makes me think, that, yeah, you're not a nice person. Yeah. But also maybe they have been through a really horrible experience Absolutely. and they are allowed to say, yeah. she cheated on me and I'm hurt by it. And so what is, is there... Any context where it's okay to yeah. sort of speak My badly gosh, about it, ex? Because
1: most people are trying to process it, right? They're also trying to process their story by telling you a little bit about it. So most people have some version of a you know, story about their ex. But, you know, it's, it's people that want to be the victim, I suppose that's it's different to saying it was really bad. He had a adi- he, you know, he had issues with addiction, so I never felt that I could be important. You know, that's a fairly fair statement, or he cheated on me, da, da, those kind of stories. Well, she cheated on me. She cheated on me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's that thing of that's a bit different. That's telling a story. It's people that have that thing of wanting to be the victim because we have this thing that kind of comes out of forensic psychology but it makes a lot of sense to me in relationships where they say every perpetrator thinks they're a victim. So everybody that's done wrong by someone else will think, well I did it because they did da, 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 to me so if, if it's someone's kind of really trying to sell the story that they're the victim, you know unless they've been in a really toxic relationship, that's probably a bit unbalanced. It's kind of like you expect a little bit of insight into you know, but maybe they'll be a great person for someone else, or you know, yes, it was some something that's a little bit responsibility taking, not too many excuses. And also, I suppose what worries me when people are trashing their ex a lot is that thing where people will, toxic communicators will use attack as the best defense. So as soon as somebody tries to say something about them, before they'll hear that, they'll come back at you with something else that's wrong with you. So people that are trash talking their exes a lot are often those people where they they haven't heard or learned anything about themselves in the relationship. They've just been on the warpath at attacking their partner. And that to me is always a worry.
0: What other red flags should you look out for?
1: Uh, So... I just want to go back to stressing again those ones where cuz these could be the most toxic the the relationships where you might be being manipulated. So those people that really come on strong with too much commitment, too much you know, too much gift giving, too many promises, too many that kind of thing is a real red flag to me because it can indicate that they're trying to manipulate you, which is obviously really bad. So they're in this relationship to set you up to, you know, feel really good. And This red flag's really important. I'll just touch on something quickly, which is a really important kind of psychological part of this, right? Um, Because we kind of need to know that, yes, we can make good decisions, but we're also up against, like we talked about in our last podcast, a bit against our biology and the wiring of our brains. So human beings absolutely have this thing called a confirmation bias. So once we have formed a belief about something, we are far more inclined to find information that fits with that belief and ignore information that doesn't. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do all the time in small and big ways, right? So if somebody comes on with this love bombing approach for consistently for a little while, you will probably believe they're a really good person and they really care about you. So once they start to pull back on that and they maybe start to be a bit hot and cold or they're a bit conditional with you, you know, oh, I only only show up if I can come at 10 or, oh, okay, well, that sounds like a bit of a booty. All right, well, yeah, I'll do it. You know, they they start changing the script and changing the rules. You're up against that confirmation bias because you formed a belief that this is a really good person that cares about you and knows how to show love, knows how to show empathy and warmth. So it will take you longer than you would like to actually be able to shift that belief and you will become quite good at ignoring things that you might otherwise not have ignored if they hadn't come on so strong and you hadn't formed that yep. belief too early. So this is a really important one with manipulative partners, but it's also a really important one with addicts because if you're dating an addict and that's not always a drug addict, there are addictive personality types who are addicted to... You know, online gaming uh, workaholics, like addictive alcohol sex. streaks, stuff. It's a it's a personality. You know, it becomes part of your personality if you're a, if you're an addict in a way for too long. And addicts can come on super strong because they're obsessed with you. So you're their thing for them. So you can really believe in that. So sometimes those love bombers are addicts, which is another big one. Or they can be people that are quite emotionally immature or relationship wise quite immature. So they think that they also believe that their behaviour is. Healthy and real, so I think if you can really be aware of those love bombing approaches, then you might be dating a manipulator, an addict, or somebody who's quite emotionally unavailable, immature. So that's definitely a red flag for a few reasons outside of narcissism. Yep, so that's one I would look Mm -hmm. for. Um, And one kind of key that I often—I hear this one a lot. It's a little thing, but it is definitely worth paying attention to. You can often pick those people up because. They treat the people around them differently to the way they treat you. So they're kind of people that are rude to waiters or a bit arrogant, you know, when you're out shopping to the wait- to the staff or they're quite dismissive about family and friends and you think, oh, wow, you know, they're really nice to me but you can hear that they're really not that nice to other people. That can be a really big sign that you're in the wrong kind of person and it's small; it's a small thing you can see early on as a red flag. And if they tell you things about themselves early in the, rela- in the beginning, like little things about you know, things that people find them hard to get along with or they've got a jealous streak, again, pay attention as a red flag for these people.
0: They're like laying out the clues for you. Yes, <laughs> they are,
1: definitely. <laughs>
0: Putting it right in front of your face. Yep. So I guess in a second
1: kind of red flag is probably flagging the narcissist but also contru- flagging that. so I put the narcissist kind of also in with another couple of people. You can just get people that are like power players in relationships, so – they're not necessarily totally self-interested, but they they basically have some kind of attachment anxiety where they don't feel safe in relationships unless they're in control. So they're not narcissists because it's not like they think that they are deserving of everything, but they don't feel safe in an attached relationship. So these are the kind of people that will set you up so that they hold all the power so that they can feel safe and you end up feeling anxious, right? Mm-hmm. So this is another group of red flags. So these kind of partners kind of they push your boundaries a little bit. So you might say to them, look, I don't really feel comfortable um, being exclusive at the moment. Oh, why not? You know, come on. You know, they push you for exclusivity. They push you for commitment. They push you for your time. They try to get you away from friends and family or really want to keep you in a special little world with them. And they might also keep you away from their friends and family because they want this love thing just with you. But the problem with that is it is isolating you and these are often people that then will make you feel because you've invested so much in this relationship that you almost can't – your world's come a little bit undone very quickly. So then they hold a lot of the power too soon. So these power playing people, again, are again, to quite toxic because if you are anxious in relationships all the time and you need the power, that might work for you but it's certainly not going to feel good for the other person. These are people that are anxious about relationships. Right. so they, They're a bit worried that maybe you are going to um, like hanging out with your friends more than you hang out with them or maybe meet somebody else if you go out on Saturday night for drinks. So it's actually their insecurity yeah. that's the problem, but they need to go and deal with that insecurity. And this is where, you know, I'm not trying to promote therapy because you can buy a book. It's just that if you're meeting someone who's not intentionally trying to separate you, because I don't think they are, but their anxiety is needing them to have this real exclusivity with you, that's going to be your problem ultimately because that's not healthy. So they need to go and work that out and try and be a little bit more secure and then come back into a relationship where they can be healthy.
0: I love the way you break down this technical stuff, like the confirmation bias makes perfect sense to me now. Is there other stuff in sort of psychology Mm -hmm. that is really relevant to dating that we should understand?
1: Definitely. And there are a few very general things that, you know, they, they apply to other parts of psychology, but they certainly come up in dating. And one of the other ones I think I... I reference a lot with clients is this idea, it's very much a psychology 101 thing where you learn about this thing called cognitive dissonance which is basically the tension between any two points that we have when we think of two things. So the way this often works is the more you invest in something the more you will convince yourself that you like it to close that dissonance. So the way they explain this in, you know, first year psychology is they talk about this study where they get, you know, they get people to eat fried crickets and one group of people eat the fried crickets for free and the other group of people have to pay $25 to eat these fried crickets. Now the people who eat them for free will pretty much give you a fairly fair picture that they were pretty crap and they were okay, but they weren't great. The people that have paid money to do it tend to report a more favourable experience. So really? these are the people that will go, you know, no, they weren't bad. Like, I think I might eat them again. And so this, how this applies <laughs> to dating is the more you invest in something, the more you'll be inclined to try to convince yourself that it's worth it or that you like it. So if you come on strong, much to your example before, and you're like giving a lot to this person and, you know, let's say you're flying in from interstate to see them every weekend and you're investing that, you know, energy, time and emotion – you may be more likely to convince yourself it's a good relationship. So this is where, again, it's about appropriately pacing yourself. It's lovely for five minutes to believe we are in the notebook or whatever. In the love bubble. Rom-com, yeah, that we're in the rom-com and it's just it is. But face it, most of the times we're not. So try to pace yourself and make sure that it's nice and balanced and don't invest too much too early because then you you might be overcome by your wiring again and end up actually not judging things as fairly as you could otherwise.
0: So how do you know if you're dating someone that it is true compatibility and not just smoke and mirrors? Okay.
1: All right, so true compatibility is one that I talk about a lot with people and I kind of say compatibility, look, you know, if somebody's, if it's a huge values or lifestyle issue, like somebody is super sporty, that's their life and you're a couch potato, okay, sure, that's clear. Maybe they're not the person for you. But generally... In relationships, compatibility is not about—it's um, not about like character attributes and the type of person. But what it is about is people who can have functional behavior and functional attitudes. If you can find someone like that, you're probably going to be compatible. So it's not about a certain type of person. It's about a person who has a certain kind of maybe communication style, a certain amount of insight about themselves. A certain ability to self-regulate because that's one that you know is really great to develop as we get older like can you self-regulate or do you just think every time you have an emotion you have the right to explode it onto somebody else um, and can you communicate well you know to me if you can find somebody who has those functional behaviors and functional attitudes and you know, you're probably going to see the behaviors maybe before you hear about the attitudes but they do go together if you can see someone who you know can have a nice conversation where they can accept your influence and take responsibility and they can talk about some feelings, you're probably gonna have some compatibility. As long as, I mean, the funny thing with compatibility is I say you might you might want somebody that you're compatible with, but are you actually a candidate to be compatible? Are you can you emotionally self-regulate? Can you, have you developed enough insight about yourself to know what your non-negotiables are and what you want and don't want? You know, can you communicate well? Can you be all these things that you're looking for in other people? If the answer is no, then again, maybe it's time for some self-development as opposed to finger pointing for compatibility. I often say to people, do this exercise: write down your perfect partner and your perfect relationship. Put oh, all you know, really magic wand it. Who do you? Who would they be, and what would they be like? And then scan that what you've written. Scan the list. Scan the piece of paper where you've put this all down, and have a look at what. It's saying to you about what your needs are when you look at this person. Does Are you craving safety and security or are you craving adventure and fun? Are you looking for the bad boy because you can't, you know, you find it hard to disrupt the system? Like what does this list say about you? And if there's kind of things where you're like, wow, this list says a lot about me and I keep dating someone trying to find the answer to this, again, it might be time where you go, it's not about compatibility, it's about a bit of self-work. It's about a bit of wow. insight. You know, it's a good exercise because people will go, oh, my God, when I look at this list, I can see why I've dated the same person 10 times.
0: I'm going home to write my list yeah. straight after this. I guess when people are building their dating profiles, mm. saying what they're looking for, are they then kind of attracting the toxic yeah. person to
1: them? Because- they often are because if you haven't done your, your own introspection and insight, and that's why I like that little do that exercise. If you haven't done that, then often you are asking for the things that are actually problems. You actually keep on drawing in the same kind of toxic relationship because you're actually not asking for the right things. And that can be a problem where you just keep, you know, so many people say, how do I keep dating the same person, the same set of problems dressed up in completely different clothing? Because they are creating those profiles that come from their issues as opposed from their healthy attachment needs. You know, securely attached people can seek closeness and also handle a certain amount of rejection and want to have compassionate friendship and communication. When we're not in that, we look for all these things that are often more matching wounds and they are actually about compatibility.
0: Oh, Rachel, as always, oh, I just love having you on the podcast. Oh, thanks, you Sammy. are so good at what you do and breaking things down. And thanks for all those tips. I think you're absolutely gonna help a lot of people find what they're looking for. Thank you.
1: Well I very I, it makes me so happy that there's a platform like yours to do it on because in all honesty, when people say to me, how do I avoid getting into the wrong kind of dating situations? It is just about educating yourself and that's what this is. So I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Yeah, that's great.
0: Romantically Challenged was presented by me, Sammy Lucas, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Sound production was by Matt Nikolic and the executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look me up on iTunes.